Today we're going to wind it down with the last two guys named Nymphus and Archippus. And aren't you glad you didn't live in Bible times because you got a normal name, right? Okay, so <laughs> let's look at Colossians 4. I'm going to read verses 15 down to verse 18. I'm going to pray. We'll spend the next few minutes in the Word of God and pray that we're changed because of what we learned today. Let's read Colossians 4 and verse 15. As Paul winds down, he says, Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea, and Nymphus, and the church which is in his house. And when this epistle is read among you, cause it to be read also in the church of the Laodiceans, that ye likewise read the epistle from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. The salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember by bonds, grace be with you. Amen. And so let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time. Father, we, we need you this morning. Uh, Lord, we, we trust and believe that your word is truth. We believe that. And Lord, we, unless we've worshipped and, and praised you in vain, we've asked you to op- open our heart and, and we've opened our life to receive your word. We, we've asked you to speak to us truth. And so, Lord, unless we've done that in vain, then, Lord, you, you now will, will be able to take your word and, and, and move in our hearts and lives. But, Father, I know that I am but a man, and, and Father, your word is truth. I'm not truth, and, and Father, use this, this broken human instrument, uh, Lord, in spite of my murmuring lips and, and Lord, my, my sinfulness, Lord, I, I am just a man. But, but you have truth in your word, and so, God, may your Holy Spirit and your word Reveal what we need to learn today, and may we give you the glory, and may our answer to you say, yes, Lord. Whatever, the, whatever you have for us, may we already say yes, because we want to hear from you. We love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, if you were here, as we, as we got to this portion of Scripture in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 14, we, I want to just go back last week for just a second. We talked about two men in verse 14 that that if anything, were, were the two most polar opposite types of people in Christendom, if I, if I can say it like that. We looked at a man named Luke and a man named Demas. And, and, and this man named Luke was, was the beloved physician. He was a co-laborer with Paul. He, he's the guy that really is responsible for over 25% of your New Testament because God used him to write the Gospel of Luke and the, and the, the Acts of the Apostle, the Book of Acts. And so when you look at how God used him mightily, man, he, he loved the Lord, he loved Paul, he loved ministry. And then we contrasted Luke with a man named Demas. And Demas, well, he was mentioned a few times in the Bible, but had nothing significant mentioned about his life other than the fact that at some point he left the ministry. He loved this present world so much that he forsook Paul, he forsook the ministry, and he basically went to Thessalonica just to live out his life separate from, from God's call on his life. The reason that I make mention of that is because immediately following the verse that talks about Demas in verse 15, we're introduced to the brethren which are in Laodicea. And again, we, we've made the, the doctrinal connection between the Colossian epistle and Revelation chapter 3, and how the church of the Laodiceans is the last church period or the last church time. And it is no coincidence, I don't, I don't believe it's a coincidence in the Scripture, that right after Demas' name is mentioned, 
the brethren which are in Laodicea. Oh, and by the way, the church which is in Laodicea in verse 16 is mentioned. And so uh, for those of you students of the Bible, there is an interesting connection there. But, but let's move on because today we want to talk about these last two men. And what we're going to see in each of these men's life is a connection. There, there's going to be a reference to something really important for your life and for, for my life in these last two men's lives. Okay, they're, they're unique and they're uniquely associated with something specific in the scriptures. And the first guy that we're going to talk about is Nymphus. And we see him in verse 15. Salute the brethren which are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church which is in his house. And so what we're going to learn this morning, we're going to see a connection between Nymphus and the local church. And, and in your blank, you want to just write this down. The church is God's instrument for New Testament ministry. The church is God's instrument for New Testament ministry. And and, and Nymphus's name, when you, when you study, you know, every Bible name has a meaning, just like your name has a meaning. Nymphus's name means bridegroom. And that's a very interesting definition of his name. He, his name is Nymphus, and he has a church in his house. And, and his name means bridegroom. And those of you that maybe have read the scriptures and studied the Bible, you know that there's another person called the bridegroom in the Bible. John chapter 3 and verse 28, when John the Baptist was, was un unveiling who Christ is, a lot of people thought that John the Baptist was Jesus Christ. They thought that he was the Messiah. And in John 3 and verse 28, the Bible says, Ye yourselves bear me witness, John says this, that I said, I am not the Christ... But that I am sent before him, he that hath the bride is the, is the bridegroom. So who has the bride? Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is the, the bridegroom. And it is interesting in Colossians 4 and verse 15 that God is giving us a picture of Christ and his church. A man named Memphis has a church in his house by the way, if you look at Revelation chapter 21 and verse 9, the Bible clearly tells us that the church is the Lamb's wife. We are the bride of Christ. Revelation 21 and verse 9, and it, it is on the screen. I'm sorry, I thought it was not on the screen. John writes and he says, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had seven vials full of seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show, I will show thee the bride whose wife? The Lamb's wife. And... Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God. Jesus Christ is the, is the bridegroom. What God gives us in the scriptures is a, is a picture of his relationship with his church. It's a husband and a wife. It's, it's a bridegroom and a bride. And God gives us that picture. Now, now, depending on what version of the Bible you walked in this morning, some of you may be scratching your head because you're, you're looking at your Bible and you're saying, wait, wait a second. It says Nymphus and the church in her house. And if that's you this morning, listen, don't be upset with me or, or, or think, man, you're in the wrong place this morning. Actually, there are multiple renderings of that in different versions of the Bible. But as you go back and you study the manuscripts, the correct rendering of that is the church in his house, not in her house. And there's a man named uh, Adamantius Origen in, in 185 to 254 uh, A.D., he was a scholar, he was a textual critic, and one of the things that he did was he had his hand on manuscripts, and 
One of the areas in which he changed the manuscript is that he turned Nymphus from a man into a woman. That error was continued through modern translations and modern manuscripts through the Alexandrian line of manuscripts, including the Roman Catholic line of manuscripts, and it has made it its way into every other modern version of the Bible except the King James Bible. Even the ASV mistranslates that, and it says the church which is in their house. So, so it is interesting that, that nobody can figure out whose church or, or where it is. It's his house, it's her house, it's their house. Stick with what the Word of God says. It, it's his house because, again, his name means bridegroom. There's a picture. There's a picture. Christ and his church, which is the point. Okay, and, and so let's move forward now. And again, listen, if you walked in with a different version of the Bible, we're glad you're here. Nobody's going to Bible police you out of here. But, but you may be reading that in your Bible and saying, okay, now why does it say her house instead of his house? And, and there is a, a long reason for that this morning. Okay, so, so let's talk about this thing with the statement, the church in his house. Now what's interesting is when we study the Bible, we actually see that there are several people that are mentioned in Scripture that had a church in their house. Memphis is one of them. We see that in Colossians 4 and verse 15. Another couple that we see are the, uh, are the married couple Priscilla and Aquila. And we see in Romans 16, as, as Paul finishes this, uh, uh, the, the, the book of Romans, and he's sending this to the believers at Rome, he says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus, who have for my life laid down their own necks, unto whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that's in their that's in their house. And so again, here's another couple that had a church in their house. 1 Corinthians 16, I, I didn't put it on the screen. 1 Corinthians 16, again, mentions Aquila and Priscilla and the church that's in their house. And then if we look at the book of Philemon and, and verse 1 and 2, as Paul addresses this man named Philemon, he also commends or greets the church that's in his house. He says, look, man, greetings to, to the church in thy house. You say, what's the point? Okay, look, what, what the point is, here, here's what the Bible is not saying. You know, we, we, we believe in a biblical authority at this church, right? We believe we, we can trust God's word rightly divided in context. But, but sometimes when we come to the Bible, we have presuppositions that influence our understanding of the Scripture, so what the Bible is not saying is, because we have portions of Scripture that, that say that people had churches in their home, it doesn't mean that what we're doing this morning is, is wrong. It doesn't mean that what we're doing is not biblical. This is not a doctrinal stance on the house church movement. And, and there would be some people that would disagree strongly with that, but that's okay. Because... That's an erroneous position to take that only the house church movement is the biblical model of, of ministry. The truth is, as you study the Bible, God very clearly tells us that there were public assemblies of believers and private assemblies. They met in the temple. They met in the houses. They, Paul taught publicly, and he taught from house to house. And so which one is right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Jesus is always right. The Word of God is always right. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, because the Bible says, this is talking about the early church at Jerusalem. It says, they continued daily with one accord, where? In the, in the temple 
and the next word is really important, and breaking bread from where? So where do they have church? In the temple? Yes. House to house? Yes. Which one was right? Yes. Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, Paul again speaking to the Ephesian elders. This is the last time he's going to see these Ephesian elders, these pastors, and he's just given them warning and giving them instruction. He says, uh, he says, how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but, but have showed unto you and taught you. Here's how Paul taught them, publicly and from house to house. And, and I just want to make the point this morning, which a lot this morning. Kind of interesting that this is the portion of Scripture that we land on right before our new member class, and so the Lord kind of knows what he's doing. I want you to understand that the church is the only institution that Jesus Christ died for. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, the Bible says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. And and again, listen, every one of us that are saved, that are born again, we have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. We've been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ that is able to wash away our sin. But I'm talking corporately and institutionally, there's only one institution that Jesus Christ died for, and it is the church. Christ didn't die for nonprofit organizations, although he did die for the people in nonprofit organizations. He didn't die for charities, although he did die for people in charities. He didn't die for seminaries, although he did die for people in seminaries. He didn't die for parachurch organizations, even though he died for the people in parachurch organizations. He bled out and died and purchased his church. His church. And so as we study this portion of Scripture, we have to give heed to the importance of the church in the Word of God. As we study this this out, the New Testament usage of the word church overwhelmingly points to local assembly, uh, a local assembly of believers. And, And what I mean by that is when God uses the word church 85 to 90 percent of the time, he is not talking about some universal one entire body of Christ. No, he actually is talking about churches just like this, local, autonomous, New Testament, local assemblies of believers. That's, that's what it is. And so, and so it's really important that we pay attention to this. Acts chapter 9 and verse 31, the Bible says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea, and this is after Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. It says that the churches had rest. Now, if we're all part of one universal church, I don't want to get off, tr- off track, but there is a religious organization that believes that and uses that vernacular, and we are part of the body of Christ. We, we are part of the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ corporately, but Acts chapter 9 says that there were churches because they were local assemblies throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and those churches were edified, and those churches walked in the fear of God and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, and they were multiplied. And there's a quote by Dr. David Cloud. I'll read for you. It's not in your notes, but just listen. When the New Testament uses the word church to refer to many churches, it always uses the term in plural, just like we saw in Acts chapter 9. So we read of the churches in Galatia 
We read of the churches in Macedonia, 2 Corinthians 8.1. We read of the churches in Judea and the churches in Asia. A couple of times the term church is used generally to refer to the entire church in general, but this is the exception, not the rule. It is therefore wrong to speak of, and listen very carefully, it's wrong to speak of the church in America. What church in America? Are you talking about the church on 7905 Logan Drive called Community Fellowship Baptist Church? Is that what you're talking about? I'm talking about the church in America. Well, that's not how God uses that word. Speak what is true, Lord. Hello? Uh, There is no church in Africa. There are churches in Africa. There's no universal church in that terminology. And David Cloud goes on to say, such such terminology is meaningless. What church in America? What church in Africa or Nepal? It's impossible to speak broadly of the church in a certain region or the church in the whole world because there are true churches, plural, and there are false churches. There are spiritual churches and there are carnal churches. There are apostolic churches and there are apostate churches. As a matter of fact, if you want to look at a couple of times, I think they're in your notes maybe, Acts chapter 20, verse 28, we already saw that. God calls the church basically a general uh, definition. He also does it in Ephesians 5 and verse 25, husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. Okay, well, he's talking about the entire body of Christ, but again, that's, that's a, a very small percentage of the usage in the, in the Bible, in the New Testament. And so why is the church important, and why, why should we give importance to the local church? Well, because God gives importance to it. There are some things that make a local church a local church. Number one, a local church has biblically ordained leadership. It has biblically ordained leadership. Let me tell you what doesn't have biblically ordained leadership. All the other things that we mentioned earlier. There's only one thing, man, that God has given biblical ordination for its leadership, and and that's the church, and and it's the churches. And that leadership is very clearly defined in the Bible. It's pastors and deacons, and that's all it is. That's all it is. And, and, And so, you know, again, this morning we can't exhaust that, but you need to know that a local church has to have biblically ordained leadership. Number two, a local church has been given biblically commanded ordinances. In other words, baptism and the Lord's Supper are an extension of local church ministry. Those are ordinances of the church. That's what they are. Number three, we did ask God to speak what was true this morning, right? Number three, the local church has a biblical mandate to mature its membership. And and can I park here for just a second? It's the church's job. To mature its membership. You say, well, I don't believe that. You know, and, and we have a mixed up perception. Again, when we come to the Bible, we, we bring our interpretation, our presuppositions with us. You know, the local church is great, man. I can go serve in the nursery. I can go sit under some teaching. But if you really want to learn God's word, and then fill in the blank with what you would say, you really need to go get a hold of this guy. Or you really need to go to seminary. Or you really need to subscribe to this YouTube channel. Okay, 
fine, all those things, fine, whatever. I'm just telling you that the biblical mandate to mature the church is given to pastors. Can you go to Ephesians chapter 4? Hope you brought a Bible this morning. Just back up. You're in Colossians. Just back up a couple of pages to Ephesians chapter 4. And sadly, we live in a day and age where many local churches like to have service. They just don't like to mature their people. We want to be biblical in our approach to ministry. We want to be very intentional and understand that it is our job as pastors and teachers to perfect and to mature the saints. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And again, what God is doing is revealing the spiritual giftedness of leadership in the different types of leaders in the church. And and again, we could cover that. It would take us two hours to go through just that one verse. But you need to know that God gave the church pastors and teachers. Why did he do that? For the perfecting of the saints. And that word perfecting in in the King James Bible doesn't mean sinless. It never means sinless, but it does mean mature. It means complete. And so God gave us pastors and teachers so that we can mature in the Lord, and by the way, there's not a period after that, there's a comma, for the work of the ministry. So we're we're to grow to maturity through local church leadership that understands a biblical responsibility so that we can all do what? The work of the ministry. So, and by the way, again, no period there, the result of the work of the ministry is the edifying of the body of Christ. And let me tell you how that works. This morning is is a symposium on the local church. You didn't even know you were getting this this morning. Here's what happens. When when we understand our biblical responsibility as a local church, we're going to be focused on teaching and training and perfecting our people. We're not going to outsource that to anybody else. We're not going to push that responsibility off anybody else. And we have to focus on that because God told us that's the whole reason we exist. And then when we train people to do the work of the ministry, that means we all go out together and do the work of the ministry together. And we'll get to what the work of the ministry is in just a minute. But when we do the work of the ministry, the church is edified. How is it edified? Well, number one, it's built up, number one, because when we go out and preach the gospel, we get lost people who are lost. We introduce them to a relationship with Jesus Christ And we bring them back to the one institution that God died for, the local church. So our church is built up through evangelism, through us reaching the lost. And then once those lost people are saved, guess what we do? We help them grow. We help them become mature. Why? So they can join us in the work of the ministry. And it's rinse, repeat. That's how our churches grow. Listen, that's the only way biblically... Our churches are designed to grow. And any other method of church growth that's not that, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just am saying it's not biblical. We have to have a biblical mindset to local church ministry. Number four, look, the local church, uh, uh, number, number four, yeah. The local church has a biblical model to send out its own missionaries. When you look at Acts chapter 13, there's a church at Antioch. God moved his base of operations from Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 
because of their rejection to leave and their rejection to get the gospel to the Gentiles, God said, okay, if you're not willing to leave Jerusalem, I'll move the base of operations from Jerusalem to Antioch. And that's what he did, Antioch of Syria. And all of a sudden, in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas and, and five men are mentioned in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. They're, they're pastors, they're leaders, they're ministering at that church. And then God raises up people and sends them out as missionaries. And he does it not through a mission board or a mission organization or, or, or whatever you want, fill in the blank. He does it through a local church. I don't know why you're not getting excited about this. Probably because we don't ever hear this anymore. Let's just put the responsibility to send missionaries on somebody else. Even if we do have a biblical model of ministry, sometimes we close the door because we don't want any of our people leaving to reach the world with the gospel and reproduce ministry in other places, number one. Nor do we want the, the struggle, the financial burden, the relationship struggles that will come with ministry. We'll just, hey, you feel like God's calling you? Hey, why don't you go to fill in the blank? Seminary, Bible college, mission organization. They can send you, and man, we'll sit back and support you and throw some money at you. And I'm not trying to be rude this morning, but what I am telling you is that's a local church mandate. The burden to train and to send falls on the local church. And, and listen, when local churches don't fulfill the mandate, well... I don't know what to tell you. We're really good at being spiritual and Christian. We're not really good at being biblical and scriptural and church ministry. And so the Bible, the Bible teaches us local churches need to prepare, pray, and send and support their missionaries. Number, number five, look, local churches assemble. So I'm glad you're in the room this morning. And listen, if you're watching online and you're, you can't be with us today for whatever reason, listen, God bless you, I love you, but... But the Bible does teach that the church is to assemble. A church that doesn't assemble is not really a church. And so in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31, we see those early apostles, man, when they prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. In Acts 11 and verse 26, this is, this is Paul and Barnabas. It says, when they found him, they brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were first called Christians or, or called Christians first where? At Antioch. And, and again, I'm telling you, there's something special about Antioch in the Bible. But, but what's interesting is they assembled with the church. Acts 14 and verse 27, when they were come together and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And so I think you get the point. And again, I'm not trying to be negative or, or, or discredit anyone that can't be here, but you know, we are in a weird time in Christianity because we are so jacked up from what the media is throwing at us and what COVID is throwing at us. And listen, I'm not saying that COVID's not real. Don't walk out of here and say that. I had it. <laughs> so if anybody can speak with authority, I had it. But I'm telling you, whatever's going on in this world doesn't supersede what the, the Word of God says. Now, we need to be cautious and careful, and we, we certainly want to distance and, and wear masks and all the different things. But, man, I'm telling you, the church, in the church, unless it assembles, and it's gotten real easy 
in the last eight months to just kick back and, and church has become a content delivery system that really is no different than Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon Prime. Listen, it's really hard to use your spiritual gifts when you aren't assembled with other people. It's hard for you to serve when there's, when there's no one to serve. And all of those things are an important part of our, our growth and our ministry participation. And, and again, we have to have a biblical mindset of what really is true about the church. Church is not just sitting at home and devouring a sermon. It's so much more than that. It's leadership, it's ordinances, it's maturing, it's being sent out, it's assembly, and ultimately it's reproduction, and that's the last blank. Local churches reproduce local churches, but listen, this is how they do it. Local churches reproduce local churches through biblical ministry. And I'm going to say some things, again, that aren't popular, but, but they will be biblical. And I'll, I'll be happy to land on the Lord's side every single time. Churches are a result of ministry. They're a result of ministry. And we have to ask the question, what in the world is ministry? If, if churches are the natural biblical byproduct of ministry, well, what is ministry? Well, I'm glad you asked because we have 10 minutes left. Can you go back to the Bible and look at Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17? Because the Bible gives us the second man. Nymphus for us makes us really appreciate and emphasize the church, the local church. But this second man, Archippus, he's going to make us appreciate and emphasize the ministry. So, so let me read the verse, and then I'll give you the blank. You already got the blank. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. And so Archippus for us is going to represent and illustrate the ministry. In other words, the ministry is the means to seeing local churches established. And again, you, you may be sitting here saying, okay, I hear what you're saying. Why is this even important? Okay, it, it's really important. Archippus is also mentioned in the, in the small letter of Philemon. Uh, Paul mentions him by name again. He calls him a fellow soldier in Philemon uh, verse 2, our beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that's in thy house, and that the thy house is Philemon. We talked about him earlier. So this man, Archippus, could possibly be Philemon's son. We don't know that. He may be of Philemon's household. We really don't have clarity on that. But here's what we do have clarity on. At the end of this epistle in Colossians, there's one guy. He says, okay, hey, when you read this epistle in Colossians... Make sure you find Archippus. And here's what I want you to say to him. All this is for all of y'all, but there's one guy I'm calling out in person, and Paul would have had tremendous influence, especially if this guy is Philemon's son or Philemon's household. Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. And can you imagine if they're reading that epistle, if, if everybody's kind of gathered around in, in Colossae and, and, you know, you're half asleep like you are right now in church and, you know, dreaming about lunch. And, and, and then all of a sudden, man, they get to the end of that epistle and it's your name. Boom. Huh? What? And they're reading this thing out loud 
And man, they, they say your name, Archippus. This is directly to you, buddy. Take heed to the ministry which you've received in the Lord, that you fulfill it. Could, could you imagine the spiritual dropkick <laughs> that would have delivered? I mean, listen, Paul, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, maybe, maybe realized that Archippus was laying down on the job. Maybe he realized that he was starting to slip down the slippery slope of loving the world like Demas did. Or maybe Paul just knew he needed a good old, I love you in Jesus, kick in the pants. For whatever reason, man, the Spirit of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, gave, gave Paul the admonition to call this guy out by name. Archippus, take heed to the ministry. Okay, what is the ministry? And, and, and in your notes, look, what is the ministry? Well, the ministry is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verses 17 through, through 19. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. The Bible says, and we, I think we all know verse 17 really good. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become what? And we say, hallelujah. Aren't you thankful? Man, your salvation wasn't just a religious experience. It was a transformation. It was a new birth. God made you new. Old things are passed away. All things have become new in Christ. Verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us, and the us is the new creature. So every, every saved person in this room, every saved person watching, if you're born again in Christ and old things are passed away and all things have become new, here's what God has given us. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. The point is, in our lostness, we were not reconciled to God in our sin. There had to be a mediator, and it was Jesus Christ. And through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, we could be forgiven of our sins. We could be reconciled back to God through his sacrifice. Okay, well, now that we have received that, and we've been reconciled to God, and, and all things are made new, and old things are passed away, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that's your notes. Look, the ministry is just the ministry of reconciliation. And so when, when, when Paul tells Archippus, take heed to the ministry that you have in the Lord, it's the ministry of reconciliation. And, and listen, God gave it to Archippus, God gave it to Paul, and God gave it to us. The minute we got saved, whether you realize that or not, it's in the fine print. It's, it's in the fine print because every one of us that are new in Christ have the responsibility of the ministry of reconciliation. And so let me give you three truths about the ministry so we can get done and get out of here. Number one, just like Archippus, we need to understand that the ministry must be heeded. So, so Paul had to remind Archippus for whatever reason. Maybe he was, he was starting to backslide. Maybe he was falling in love with the world. Maybe he was just not interested in fulfilling what God had called him to do. And so God had to send him a re reminder and send him a warning. 
hey, Archippus, take heed to the ministry. That, 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 that phrase, take heed, it means be aware, see it through, give it regard, behold it, give heed to the ministry. And I'm telling you, in the 21st century, we give heed to everything else, don't we? Because I guarantee you, man, if we, if we just had an open forum, I guarantee you we have been given heed to election results and conspiracy theories and statistics. Some of you probably could tell me the percentage of votes that were fraudulent, in your opinion. You know why you can tell me that? Because you've been given heed to it. You've been aware of it. You've been giving yourself to it. You, you, you're, you're giving it regard in your life. Can I ask you a question? Do you give the ministry of Jesus Christ regard in your life? Do you give the ministry of reconciliation regard? Are you aware that God has you on mission every day? And the results of an election doesn't determine whether or not you still have a mission. You do. And it may be harder to, to achieve it as we move forward, but the the mission hadn't stopped. The mission hadn't stopped. So we need to take heed to the ministry. And then the second thing we need to be reminded is this ministry is something that we have received. And, and the word received is past tense. It's not something that you received this morning, but it is something you received the moment that you received Christ. He calls this ministry the ministry that you received in the Lord. And, and you became in the Lord when, when you asked Jesus Christ to save you from your sin, when you asked by faith for him to forgive you and to reconcile you to God, and when you believed by faith that his finished work on the cross was sufficient. That puts you in Christ. And in Christ, you've also received a ministry, the ministry. Okay. Acts chapter 20, I know you don't believe me, but I've heard you believe the Bible. So look at Acts chapter 20 and verse 22. Again, Paul recounting to the Ephesian elders, he says, he says in verse 22, Now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide in me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself. And stop right there. Verse 24 would be a good memory verse for Christians today. What have you allowed to move you away from the ministry? And, and have you valued your life so much <laughs> that it's not committed to the ministry anymore? Do you value your life so much that you want to assemble with your church? And be a part be a part of what God's called us to do. Paul says, I, I, don't, I don't count my life dear unto myself. It's not my life. It's not my life. It's Christ's life. And that's easy to, it's easy to say, yeah, preacher, preacher, okay. That's real easy to say until there are some things that afflict us and some bonds that we experience. Well, is it still Christ's life then? Are we moved away from the ministry by the sufferings of Christ in our life? Do we begin to count our life as dear unto ourself? Paul said, nope, I'm not going to do that. I can't do that because I want to finish my course with joy, listen, and the ministry which I've received of 
the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel by the grace of God. Jesus Christ gave you that ministry. You're not getting that ministry from Community Fellowship Baptist Church. You're not getting that, that ministry from, from Jay. You're not getting it from, from our church leadership. You are receiving that and have received that, as Paul said, of the Lord. Of the Lord. And, and so the last point, let's get your blank so you know all the OCD people can be happy at lunch. All right, lastly, so we need to give heed to the ministry. We've already received it. Lastly, we have to make sure that ministry is fulfilled. We have to make sure that the ministry is fulfilled. In other words, we need to finish it. We need to fulfill it. We need to finish the work of the ministry. And for some of you, listen, this morning, you may be brand new in the Lord. You may be new to our church. Maybe you've been saved for a long time, but you've never realized that God purposed to use you as a minister. Can I encourage you today? Ephesians 4 tells us that you can get equipped to do the work of the ministry. And the way you get equipped is through pastors and teachers through a local church, because I know this morning, you're, you're hearing what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, I get the fact that I have a ministry. How do I do that? You get, you get equipped. You get discipled. And we have a ministry called discipleship here that is the ministry. It, 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 it matures the saints to do the work of the ministry. And we want you involved in it. And then, and then lastly, you, you want to get addicted to the ministry. Once you get equipped, let's go do it. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 15, Paul writes, he says, I beseech you, brethren, you know that the house of Steph- Stephanus, that's a cool name, by the way, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. And, and again, man, there's, there's some people that are just sold out. They're just going to do what God's called them to do no matter what. Okay, so let me, let me land the plane here. Look, the result of ministry, and, and I want to make sure that you understand what I'm saying right here at the end. The result of ministry is a local church. And don't fill out the last part of that. You, you can fill it out. It's fine because you've already seen it. So ah, you can't take the blank away. Okay. The result of, lo- uh, the result of ministry is a local church. Let me, let me finish the sentence. A local church is not planted to do ministry. You say, well, that doesn't sound biblical. Let me explain it. Churches are the result of biblical ministry. Ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, when we go preach the gospel and people get saved and people get discipled, what the result of that is, is a church. We do the ministry and it results in a church. But in our 21st century mentality, here's the way we do it. We go plant a church without ever doing ministry. We rent a building. We rent a sound system. We rent chairs. We certainly got to get donuts and coffee. And we call a couple of meetings and preview meetings. And listen, there's a romanticized approach to church planting. It's the hip thing to do. It's the cool thing to do. Everybody and everybody wants to plant a church. The problem is... There's a disdain for the work of the ministry. Nobody wants to go preach the gospel. Nobody wants to make disciples. I say nobody, generally speaking. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't line up with the word of God because because ministry is ultimately what? 
gospel results in a church. Just because you rent a building. And again, man, people that do that, you walk out of here and think I'm critical of that, you have not heard what I've said. But if there is no evangelism and there is no discipleship, there won't be a church. There'll probably be a disgruntled group of unhappy church people from other churches that just found a new place to meet. You say, well, that offends me. Well, okay, go win some people to Christ, all right? God tells us that the result of biblical ministry is local churches. We don't plant churches to do ministry. Ministries are a result of the church. Okay, all your blanks are filled in, right? Must mean we're done. <clears throat> if, there, if there's a closing admonition I can give you, it's this. The two things that we must prioritize in these last days of the church period, and, and, and I mean literally, I believe, will be the generation that sees the rapture, and that could be wrong, and I'm not a date setter, but I know the Lord is coming. And the things that we need to prioritize in these days are the things that have been prioritized since the resurrection. It's the church and the ministry. Those are the things that if we want to end well, we need to prioritize and give heed to those things in our life. And, and I don't want to shame anybody. I'm not trying to shame anybody. You are my brethren, and I love you in the Lord, but I want to warn us that, listen, if our understanding and commitment to the local church has wavered, maybe it's become cold, maybe it's become callous, we need to repent of that. Because that's the only institution that Jesus Christ died for. And that's the only thing that he is going to use to propagate biblical ministry in this world. You say, well, other, people, other organizations can't lead people to Christ? That's not what I said. The gospel, works, the gospel works anywhere, anytime. Even from the mouth of lost people, the gospel works. Because the truth of God is the truth of God. Speak what is true. It's truth no matter who's speaking it. And so listen, the gospel works no matter what, but I'm telling you that God wants to use a local church fully, completely, entirely to do all the things that we mentioned. And then for those of us that maybe can identify with Archippus a little bit, listen, we know we're saved and we've given heed to everything else in our life. We need to realize we need to give heed to the ministry. We need to get back to the ministry. You see, a Christian that has no burden and no obedience to the ministry of reconciliation, something is wrong. Something's wrong. I'm saved, but I'm going to ride this thing out for myself. Brother, you are a little off in your understanding of the Bible. If you don't have a burden to be obedient to God and be used as, as a minister of God and carry out the ministry of reconciliation in your own life, can I just tell you, can I warn you, at the judgment seat of Christ, your sin has been dealt with at the cross of Calvary. But at the judgment seat of Christ, you'll suffer shame and you'll suffer loss for a life wasted. And in these last days, man, the devil has no greater temptation than for us to give heed to everything except the two things that God really emphasized. And so let us be warned, let us be challenged, let us be encouraged that we can get everything that we need through the institution that God has given us. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray, and then we'll dismiss. Father, we